0: Well, good morning. Our mission here at the chapel is to help people take one step closer to God and to each other through Christ. So let me give you a couple of ways you can do that this morning as we start. The first one is this for you families. Boy, you know, on June 23rd, we are having a family game night at Progressive Field. So if you like baseball, even if you don't like baseball, but you like dollar dogs, that then come to Progressive Field. So we don't have transportation for you to get there, but we do have a section that all the chapel families are going to be sitting in. There is a cost, but you can text the word baseball to this number, get your tickets, get set up, and then we'll meet you at the park on June 23rd. So hopefully you'll come and hang out with us that evening, and we'll have a good time together. And then uh, lastly, you know, many of you said yes last week to helping in Chapel Kids this summer. We're so grateful that you did. If you still want to do that, this is not a lifetime commitment to being in Chapel Kids. What this is, is over the summer, so many people go camping and have graduations and different things that are happening that we often need a little extra help in Chapel Kids. So if you can serve one service one weekend this summer, that is all we're asking. So if that is you, would you stop in, at the Say Yes table in the atrium and, and get yourself signed up and we'll plug you in for just one weekend, one service this summer to help so that one of our other families is able to have a vacation or go camping or spend time with their family. We're grateful that you would be willing to do that and help us to stay orange. So um, hopefully you will do that as well. Today we are in the Gospel of John But I wanted to make sure you knew, you know, over the past few years, a lot of you have have known me these past few years, I've worked a lot harder on trying to exercise and eat a little bit healthier, and, and because... I'm not getting any younger, right? None of us are. And my family, there was some heart issues in, in my family. And so my doctor said, well, you should probably be a little more cautious about your weight and your blood pressure. And so I've been trying to work really hard on that. And that's not always easy because I love food. I love to eat. I love carbs, I love bread, I love cinnamon rolls, I love cheese danishes, I love donuts, I love those little hot rolls from Texas Roadhouse, oh, those are so good, and then um, I, I, I love the big warm pretzels from Cedar Point and Sam's Club, those are actually, those are good with the cinnamon and sugar on top, those are phenomenal, I love the um, Hawaiian rolls, I love the chicken barbecue deep dish pizza from Domino's, that is legit if you've not had it. That is so good. The parm bites with it, I'm telling you, that is a winner. I love that stuff. I i love carbs, and, and I do love salad too, don't get me wrong, but I like my salad with a lot of croutons on top, and then I'm good. I'm so glad that Jesus that Jesus is all about carbs, too. I know that he is, and I can prove that he is, because today in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. (laughs) Clearly, he knows carbs. And um, so I'm just following suit in that. In all seriousness, though, Jesus said some things today in John chapter 6 that are really important. And not only are they important, but he said some things in... To the people in that day, that would have been disturbing. They they didn't get it. And so I want to jump into this. We're starting in verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John 6, starting in verse 22, or your smartphones, or um, of course we have our Bibles in the back if you need to borrow one, you're welcome to. But it says this, John chapter 6, starting in verse 22, the next day... The crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. Now, at this moment, Jesus had just performed this miracle, It was a miracle you've probably heard of before. It was the one where there were 5,000 people and the little boy had his lunch. And Jesus took the little boy's lunch and he multiplied the two fish and the five loaves. And out of that little lunch that this boy gave, Jesus was able to feed over 5,000 people with it this was a miracle it was a momentous occasion that that would have blown people's minds this was this was something special and just like when special things happen people want to go to that place it is true in our day too right that is why people go to the 9/11 um, site where, where the towers came down that's why people, Um, Travel to Gettysburg. That's why thousands of people came to hear Martin Luther King speak. That is why uh, people traveled from all over our country to to Asbury during that revival, because people want to go to where there's something happening that is special, that is miraculous, that is momentous. And the same thing is true. True here, these people, they wanted to come and see what had just happened. Jesus just performed a miracle. They wanted to be there, so the boats came in. Only problem, they were a little late. They were were too late. They were gone. In fact, it says this in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, or teacher, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Ooh. So Jesus here, he doesn't pull any punches with these guys. He, he says it how it is, because people were flocking in droves to come see Jesus, or were they? Were they coming to see Jesus or were they coming just to see what this was all about? Were they coming just to see and experience these miracles that he was doing? Jesus here, he points out to them their real motive for coming. They were, they were looking for a miracle that might benefit them. In this instance, they were looking for a miracle that could provide them an unlimited supply of food. And this. This challenged my heart this week as I read this, because just like Jesus knew why these people wanted to be with him, guess what? He knows why I want to be with him, and he knows why you want to be with him. He knows if we're in this just because we have something that we want to gain, that he has something that he can give us, or or are we in it because we love Jesus and we want to follow him? He knows the motivation of our hearts. And people here, they were coming because they wanted to see more miracles. And we know this is the case. And so Jesus, here he sets them straight and he says this in verse 27, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food, To which I always think that must be easy to say coming from a guy who can rain bread from heaven and bring water from rocks. But he says, don't be concerned about things that are temporary, You need to think about things that are more permanent. And so he goes on in verse 27 to say, "'Spend your energy seeking the eternal life "'that the Son of Man can give you. "'For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval.'" This is a critical thing we say, because remember, when Jesus was performing these miracles, he wasn't just doing it for the sake of performing miracles, Jesus was performing miracles as signs that were meant to point to something far greater. They were meant to point to to Jesus. They were meant to point to the fact that his message that he gave was real. It would authenticate his message. And here he's saying, look, the Father has given me his seal of approval. I'm legit. I'm here. And the people, they still missed it. They were missing it. In fact, it goes on in verse 28 to say, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? The selfishness. Again, it's, it's like they're saying, Jesus, tell us how to do that because we want to be able to do that too. And so then Jesus goes on to tell them, this is the only work God wants from you. Right here. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe. That's that's, that's the work. Jesus reminds them, and I think he reminds us today, that the only work God wants from you is to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. That's your work. Now, now don't hear me wrong. That doesn't mean that your work isn't important. But your first and most important work is to believe. Believe. And then what comes out of that belief is work. I want to do things for Jesus, not to impress him, not to earn his favor, not to hopefully pave my way to heaven. No, no, those aren't my motivations. I work for Jesus because of my belief in him. It's out of my approval of Jesus I work, not for his approval. It's backwards. And so Jesus says, look, you've got to believe in me, That is your first work, to which I want to ask you just a few questions today as we go along. Questions that I hope that you will be honest with in, in your own heart. The first question I want to ask you is this, have I believed in Jesus? That is the first and most important work you can do. Have I believed? Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe that he was sent here to this earth, fully God, fully man, he lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross to pay for my sins, the penalty that I deserve to pay. Three days later, he rose from the grave and he defeated death forever, giving me the keys to eternal life. Do I believe in Jesus? Not just what he can do for me. Which brings me to my second question I have to ask you. What is your motivation for believing or following Jesus? Is it just because you think he can give you something? Lord, I will believe in you if you do this. Or is it because you genuinely love Jesus? What is your motivation? People here that Jesus was talking to, he, they still wanted to see more. They couldn't get enough. They wanted more. In fact, it says this in verse 30. So they they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? I mean, can you imagine? Like, he hasn't done enough already, but they want to see more. They still don't believe. Give us more, Jesus, they said. And then they go on to say, After all, our ancestors ate manna, which is a type of bread, while they journeyed through the wilderness. The Scriptures say, again, this makes me laugh, here are these people quoting Scriptures to Jesus. I always find that humorous. They say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And I think, you know what, it's easy for me to shake my head at these people and think how ridiculous, but I wonder if I was there, if I was in their sandals, would I be thinking the same thing? Would I respond the same way that they did? because when the people of Israel they were in the wilderness they realized they had an ultimate dependence on God every single day. And he literally rained down bread from the heaven and took care of them on a daily basis. And these people, they still they still put their focus on a man. They put their focus on Moses, the leader of the people. They gave credit to him, and Jesus was having none of it here. He's going to set them straight because, listen to this, you don't take glory from God ever, ever. All glory to him always and forever, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 you don't give glory to Moses for this. In fact, in the next verse, he says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. He stops them, and he says, no, 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 you don't take credit for this. This was my father. Give him the glory. He did this work. And then he goes on in verse 33 and 34, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the first of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. He, for instance, today he says, I am the bread of life. In two weeks when we look at John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In 10, I am the door. A couple verses later, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then 15, I am the true vine. He says, I am the these things. And we're going to look more in detail at those in the, in the weeks to come. But, but Jesus replied to them here, look, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, when I read this, I thought, man, that sounds familiar. And I wonder if it sounds familiar to you too. Because It was just a couple of chapters earlier in John chapter 4. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and she she was sharing her heart with him and he cared for her and he said, look, I'm the source of water, of living water, he tells her. And now he's saying, look, I I am the bread of life. He's meeting these needs, these everyday needs that we are dependent on him. And so this, this church commentary wrote, The bread of God was he who came down from heaven and gave men not simply satisfaction from physical hunger, but life, satisfaction. Jesus was claiming that the only real satisfaction was him. This is what he's claiming to the people, but they didn't understand the confusion. It was growing in their minds. In fact, it goes on in verse 41 and say this, the people began to murmur in disagreement. They they weren't seeing it. They were arguing here. And because he had said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven, they didn't get how can you come down from heaven. In verse 42, they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came from heaven? They didn't get it, and it makes sense because Jesus had a mom and a dad, Mary and Joseph. They knew him. They knew where he came from. They knew Nazareth. How can this guy say he comes from heaven when we know his mom and dad? They clearly didn't read the Christmas story. They didn't know, and so they thought he was, he was crazy, He's starting to go off the deep end here a little bit, and if they were starting to think he's going off the deep end here, then they really start thinking he's going off the deep end in the next verses. In 47, it says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Whoa. Whoa. If, if, this, if his talk wasn't crazy enough, it just took a turn for the crazy. What is this talk about eating flesh business, Jesus. This is getting disturbing to the people. They didn't quite get that he was pointing ahead. He was pointing to his death. He was indicating to them that he was going to be dying on a cross, that he was going to offer his flesh as a sacrifice for their sins, so that they could be restored, so that they could be made whole, so that they could be made in right standing once again in their relationship with God. They didn't understand that he was pointing towards that. And out of their lack of understanding, they began to argue even more. It says, the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. This is nuts. And so Jesus reiterates, he says again, but then he even amps it up a little bit more. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Now, at this point in time, the people are losing it. I mean, he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, this caused confusion and arguing among the people. They were taking him so literally that it had sounded absurd to them. In fact, if you were a Jew in this audience at the time, you would have heard this and thought, this is completely unorthodox. Because you and I have a benefit, a benefit of, of understanding that Jesus went to the cross. That he shed his blood for the sins of the world, that he gave his body and was broken as the bread of life so that we could be made whole every single month here at the chapel. That is why we partake in communion together, communion where we remember this sacrifice that Jesus is speaking of, where we give thanks to this sacrifice. We take the little piece of bread and we say, this is his body that is broken for you. Do this, remember me. And then we take the little cup of juice and we say, this is my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what Jesus is talking about. You and I have the luxury of knowing these things, but thinking about these people at this time, this was nuts. Here's this guy claiming to be from heaven telling them to eat his body and drink his blood. It wouldn't have made sense. But yet this church author, he writes this. He says, the reference Jesus made to eating his flesh and drinking his blood is a metaphorical way of describing the person who draws on, who claims or lays hold of the reality of his atoning sacrifice by putting their personal faith in him. And we've constantly got to go back to that constantly, and yet these people were confused. Jesus was pointing them ahead, pointing them to the work on the cross, and reminding them of something that's so simple but so difficult. He's reminding them of their dependence on him, their daily dependence. This is why here at our church, our number one value at the chapel is to depend on God. Number one value, dependence on him we rely on God and we rely on his word that means everything we say everything we do every choice we make every decision we make needs to be in dependence on God because when we walk forward in our own wisdom and in our own strength and in our own power when we do that I promise you the end of the road comes quick and we find ourselves in trouble and I know that because I can speak from personal experience it doesn't work out. He's saying, look, your dependence needs to be on me. And Jesus is using this essential element to remind them of their dependence on him. I mean, they brought up the manna, the bread in the wilderness with Moses. That was daily dependence. Remember he said, give us this day our daily bread. Daily dependence on bread. In the wilderness, Jesus now is highlighting after he fed five thousand people with two fish and five loaves. their dependence on him for bread. We are dependent on him on bread to live physically. Yes, but Jesus is reminding them: you are dependent on me to live physically and spiritually. That is to daily, to daily take in his word and depend on him in prayer. It is a necessity. And that brings me to another question that I want to ask you today. It is simply this. Who or what am I depending on? What are you depending on? Because I promise you, all of us are depending on something or someone. Whether you are in this room and you are following Jesus, or whether you're in this room and you're not following Jesus, I promise you, you are placing your dependence on something or someone. Let me... Let let me give you some examples here. For example, uh, we can depend on our paycheck, but we're not guaranteed our job, so that's undependable. We can depend on our friends, but let's be honest, we all have had some friends that have let us down. Some of you put your dependence on me, and I promise I have let you down and disappointed you. Not intentionally, but it happens. We can depend on our looks and appearance. I've never had this problem, but some of you you have. But none of us are getting any younger. That's as undependable. Some of us can depend on our family, but some of you have families you know, I know that have betrayed you, who have hurt those people closest to you. Our families aren't always dependable. So we put our depend on our intellect, that is, on our memory, on our on our on our intelligence. And and we know. We know our memory can slip away easily. We can depend on technology. Well, technology has its flaws, most certainly. That's undependable. We depend on doctors, but doctors, they have a limited knowledge, they don't know everything. It's undependable. So we say, fine, fine. Well, we'll depend on ourselves because we're the only things that can be dependable. But even you know, even your strongest, most capable, hardworking people, they come to the end of themselves eventually. Everyone cracks. Everything in this world is undependable, will fail. And so I say this from the bottom of my heart, and I mean it. Jesus is the only one that I have found, the only one I've found in my life and in this world that has never failed, who has always been constant, unchanging, and dependable every single day. It's only Jesus. And so in verse 35, Jesus reminds them, I am the bread of life. I am the one you depend on every day. And always. Because whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And still, these people didn't get it. They couldn't understand. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't accept it. And that brings me to jumping ahead to verse 60. It says this Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? They said. And so in verse 66, It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Remember... Jesus would have had hundreds of people following him. He would have had hundreds of disciples. People came to where he was to hear him teach, to experience miracles. He had a lot of people with him. And at this point, all this talk about coming from heaven, all this talk about eating his body and drinking his blood, it was simply too much for these people to handle. And they said, we don't get it. We don't accept it. We're done. And they began to walk away. They deserted him. And so Jesus turned to the 12, his 12 closest, those guys that had been with him from the beginning. And he turns to them as I can just see the picture of all these people leaving him. And turning to these 12 and going, Are you going to leave too? What are you going to do? Where are you at? Are you staying or are you going? Because here's some of the people who have been following him. They had flocked to hear him teach and flocked to see his miracles. But what he was now saying was too hard. They just couldn't accept it. And the same thing happens to us today, especially if you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you just come to church because you're trying to be more religious or you want to be more moral. Or maybe you're not getting the results you're looking for and we know that it's easy to just turn away and desert Jesus because in this life things don't always make sense there's disappointments in life there's unmet expectations in life. We all experience these things. And when those things happen, it is real easy to just turn and walk away. And I'm saying even for some of us who have believed in Jesus for a long time, we go through deep waters and heavy trials and we go through things that God is doing that seems like don't make sense or it's confusing and we, became, we become hurt and bitter and angry and confused and, and that is why so many turn from Jesus. We give up. And Jesus asks the 12 that were closest to him, well, what about you? Are you going to leave too? You see, Jesus says hard things and confusing things here. And Jesus sometimes allows hard things and confusing things to happen in our lives. And we will be pushed to the limit of our faith. And each of us at that moment has a choice to make. Are you going to turn to Jesus and lean into him? Or are you going to turn away from Jesus? Say, I'm done. I'm out. We have that choice to make. Are we going to depend on Jesus who has proven to be dependable over and over again? Or are we going to depend on something else that I promise will not be dependable? And I'm not even talking about huge things in life. I'm talking about every single day dependence. When my alarm goes off and my eyes come open, am I depending on Jesus? Am I approaching each day, each decision, each interaction, each thought I have with a dependence on Jesus? Because maybe you're like me and you fall into this trap. You, you, you kind of make a deal with God. and You go, okay, God, God I'll make you a deal here. Just a second. I, I'll tell you what. I will handle the day-to-day operations. I'll handle all the small stuff. I'll handle everything that I can handle. I will let you know when I need some help. When something big comes along, then, then I will come to you. Otherwise, I, I'll handle things. That is not the kind of dependence Jesus is talking about here. He is speaking of constant, daily, moment-by-moment, dependence, and it's a dependence that doesn't leave room for control, and it doesn't leave room for pride. Those things don't belong. And so Jesus, in this moment, he turns to these 12, these 12 that have been with him through everything, and he says, are you also going to leave? And this is, this is why I love Peter. I can't wait to meet Peter someday, because he responds to Jesus' question. And I'm telling you what, this. I hope this is our hearts too. Because it doesn't say Peter understood everything Jesus was talking about. It doesn't say, oh, in Peter's infinite wisdom, it all was clear and he knew the path. It doesn't say that Peter possessed some great understanding of this incident. Peter was just as confused as everyone else. And yet, in his confusion, this was his response to Jesus. He said, Lord, to whom will I go? You have the words to eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter gets it. He says, Lord, there's no one else. It's only you. It's only you. You have the keys to eternal life. And we believe. We have been with you. We have seen. We understand that you are sent from God. You are the Son of God. We put our faith and trust in you. There's no one else, Lord. It's just you. And we're going to follow. We're followed. And in faith, they clung. Peter clung to the Lord. And they followed him. I wonder, do we know enough about Jesus in our lives? Do we know enough? Have we experienced enough with him to know there's no one else to depend on but him? He's it. And so I asked the worship team to come back out because there's a song I would love to close with that I think speaks to this kind of dependence that Jesus is talking about. But before we sing that, I want to... I want to ask you these three questions. And I want you to write these questions down or take a picture of them with your phone because this week I want you to talk about these three questions with your family, with your husband or wife, with your kids. Talk about them in the car ride on the way home. Talk about them at lunch. Maybe I want you to ask yourself these three questions every single morning before you wake up for work. So, make sure you get these. Question one Do I believe in Jesus? Do you believe that He is who He says He is? I mean, seriously, ask yourself that. Do I believe? And what is my motivation for believing? Is it just for what I can get out of it or because I really want to follow Him? Question two I want you to wrestle with this week. Who or what am I depending on? Is it are you depending on something that's undependable? Are you you leaning on your bank account or are you leaning on the bread of life? Are you leaning on a relationship or are you leaning on the bread of life? Are you leaning on your own wisdom and only the things you can see or are you leaning on the bread of life? What are you depending on this day? I want you to talk about that with your family. Is there something that Is there an adjustment you need to make? Like, hey, family, is there something we need to do here to make a change, an adjustment? Are are we truly putting our dependence on God or are we working really hard at doing our own thing? And then question three is this. What step do I need to take today? What step? If I'm going to move closer to Jesus... What do I need to do? Is that a, do I need to have a hard conversation with Jesus? Do I need to tell him what I'm wrestling with? Do I need to ask him to just help me? What, what is that thing you need to talk to him about? What step do you need to take? So I would challenge you to do those things this week. So in closing, let's just stand together and unite our hearts and could we sing this last song? Thank you.